Welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime podcast, and you're listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. In this latest episode, we're going to be focusing on the events of Singapore Maritime Week, or SMW as it's known. SMW was held in the last week of April, and is the template of maritime weeks that have sprung up across the globe, such as London International Shipping Week, and SMW itself is now in its 17th year. SMW 2023 was the first full edition post-pandemic, and to say it was busy would be an understatement. It will require a small army of people to attend everything that happens at SMW. So in this podcast, I'll be focusing on telling you about my experiences and what I learned from the official conference events and the Sea Asia exhibition. My colleagues at Informer Markets both run the Sea Asia exhibition, along with the Singapore Maritime Foundation, and are the event organiser for the Maritime and Port Authority of Singapore's Maritime Week conferences, and hats off to them for a huge range of fantastic conference content and networking opportunities, some of which I'll be talking more about in this episode. SMW 2023 kicked off in style at the Ritz-Carlton Millennium, with the official opening ceremony a huge invite-only affair that assembled not only the great and the good of Singapore shipping, but from across the globe. The week attracted five of the seven candidates seeking election as the next Secretary General of the International Maritime Organization, or IMO, shipping's governing body. And as well as Singapore's Transport Minister S. Iswaran, the opening featured the SMW dialogue with ministers from Denmark, Norway, Portugal and the United Kingdom. The decarbonisation of shipping was a strong theme at the opening ceremony, as it was to be across the week as a whole. Eyes are very much on what decision the IMO will reach in terms of revised targets on greenhouse gas emissions from shipping by 2050 at the July meeting of the Marine Environment Protection Committee. In a keynote address to the opening, Keetak Lim, IMO Secretary General, told attendees, I believe that as they debate the new strategy, IMO member states must be ambitious and bold enough Speaking in the following dialogue session, Danish Minister for Industry, Business and Financial Affairs, Morten Bodskov, said shipping must do much more to reach the goals set out in the Paris Agreement on climate change. While in a video address, John Kerry, US Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, said there is no path to eliminate the global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius without achieving zero emissions from the shipping sector. Let's leave the debate on decarbonisation of shipping for now and move into the second and third days of SMW. The second day kicked off with the official opening of both Sea Asia and the two-day Marine Tech Conference at Marina Bay Sands. The opening of the conference and exhibition, like everything else during the week, was packed. And at this point, listeners, I wish I'd taken better note of the sustainability policies around the events, with the air conditioning set at 25 degrees centigrade, and therefore an advisory dress code of no jacket or tie. It was considerably warmer than the winter temperatures that Singapore hotels usually like to set their aircons at for events. And after the opening, I duly ditched my suit jacket for the rest of the week. In a keynote address to the Marantech Conference, 
Roger Holm, president of Wartzilla Marine Power, stressed the need to speed up digitalization of the industry to meet the challenge of decarbonization. He said the key was to combine the decarbonization journey with financial viability. With regulations that are coming in to reduce emissions, a challenge to many vessels, he said that digital tools were here to help the industry. However, at present, digitalization had not progressed at the speed that had been hoped, and companies were missing out on a lot of opportunities to improve efficiency, performance, and optimization. Meanwhile, in a later session on greener digital corridors, the disparities were highlighted between ports such as Singapore and Rotterdam that were pushing ahead with these greener digital corridors to advance decarbonization, and the standards of digitalization which are being held back by other nations where even the most basic paper processes were yet to be digitalized. For all the great content there was in the conference sessions, after doing some writing for Sea Trade Maritime News, and listeners, please note, there are links in the show notes to stories talked about in this episode, so make sure you check those out. It was time to head to the Sea Asia exhibition, and some excellent networking opportunities both at the exhibition itself and receptions later. Both afforded the opportunity to catch up with friends from the industry, some from overseas that I hadn't met in person for years, as well as meet new people. I even met a Japanese gentleman working for a well-known ship owner in Japan on a project to develop a space rocket launched from a vessel at sea, which later also recovers the launcher once it splashes down back in the ocean. So there's just so many interesting things to find out from meeting people both old and new. If you're enjoying the Sea Trade Maritime podcast, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on the app of your choice. Moving on to Wednesday, and the focus continued to be face to face meetings, but in a more structured fashion, with interviews around Sea Asia. The focus was on a couple of areas where there is particular interest at the moment, with new solutions coming onto the market. One of these was in maritime communications with low Earth orbit or LEO satellite constellations. The recently launched LEO-based Starlink service for maritime by Elon Musk's SpaceX was very much in evidence on the show floor from resellers. So how is major incumbent in the maritime communications space Imarsat? with this geo-satellite network reacting. Well, when I talked to Ben Palmer, president of Imarsat Maritime, he seemed to be very much taking things in his stride, stressing the positives of big-name interest in the sector. But isn't it cool that Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos want to pour their fortunes into investing in our marketplace? For me, it's the kind of, you know, that's, that's, that's exciting. Palmer believes that the future lies in a combination of services, combining KA-band, L-band, 5G, and possibly Leo, but in a way that doesn't matter to the customer how the service is delivered, but rather the consistent quality of that service. A similar view was given by KVH Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Chris Watson. KVH are offering Starlink as an add-on to their hybrid tracknet service. Indeed, they had the antenna on their stand. As noted earlier in this episode, decarbonisation loomed large over many discussions in SNW, and this included on the show floor at Sea Asia. An upcoming area is carbon capture and storage, 
which potentially provides a pathway for existing ships to meet carbon emission reduction targets in coming years. Japanese Classification Society Class NK has just released guidelines for shipboard CO2 capture and storage systems. Yukihito Fujinami, Corporate Officer, Director, Research Institute for Class NK, explained the guidelines are to help ship owners and yards interested in installing CCS systems. Greek ballast water treatment manufacturer Irma First has already diversified into shore power with its Blue Connect system which it was showcasing at Sea Asia, and speaking with President Eleni Polychrono-Pulu, she said they expected to launch a CCS product by the end of the second half of the year. She says there's a lot of interest in CCS as an interim solution to reduce emissions from ships to 2030 and 2040. Coming to day four of SMW, and I was off to an early start at Sea Asia, moderating the Offshore Marine Breakfast Forum. Offshore Marine is enjoying some good times after many years in the doldrums. While alternative energy such as offshore wind is driving new markets and demand, offshore oil and gas remains very much at the core. One panelist said he felt like he'd been decarbonized to death over the previous few days. On the topic of decarbonisation and alternative fuels, I was though interested to learn that the Civil Liabilities Convention does not cover bunker spills from alternative fuels, something that impacts all types of shipping using new fuels. But if anyone was to doubt the interest in decarbonisation, they just needed to head up to the Accelerating Decarbonisation Conference, which was completely jam-packed. It's rare you see a conference that is standing room only let alone one where it was a struggle to even get through the door. Clearly, interest is very high. In this conference and other sessions, it's worth noting the repeated participation of the CEOs of ABS, DMV and Lloyd's Register, Chris Vianinki, Remy Erickson and Nick Brown, respectively, and on occasions with more than one of them on the same panel. It underscores the importance the top classification societies see in both the topic and Singapore. One of the panels featured Mikhail Bo, chairman and CEO of new nuclear company Core Power. There is an increasing interest in nuclear power in providing carbon-free fuel for shipping. I caught up with Mikhail after the panel and he was keen to share that Core Power had hit its milestone of $100 million in funding, providing for its share in a $600 million program by the US government to build a test reactor. The first reactor will be built by the end of 2025 to early 2026. He said, We are reaching our $100 million funding milestone at Corpac. So the funding of new nuclear has happened. This funding, he stressed, has come from the big names in shipping and the commodities sector. That brings me to the final day. The Sea Asia exhibition had closed on Thursday, but interest remained strong on the conference side with the all-important topic of talent. I was interested in the results of a study entitled The Future of Seafarers 2030, A Decade of Transformation, co-sponsored by DMV and the Singapore Maritime Foundation. A survey of over 500 seafarers found 87% of respondents indicated a need for partial or complete training for emerging fuels such as ammonia, methanol and hydrogen, 
while over 75% would require training to some degree for LNG, batteries or synthetic fuels. The surprise to me was that these percentages weren't actually higher, especially for the fuels not in use yet. And that brings to a close another extremely busy Singapore Maritime Week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues who you think may find it useful, and make sure you subscribe to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast on the app of your choice to never miss an episode. Until the next episode, stay safe.